Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday. I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is the Novogratik Report on Tax Credits. If you would like to learn more about Novogratik and Company's accounting, consulting, and valuation services, please check us out on the web at www.novaco.com or send us an email at cpas at novaco.com. That's C-P-A-S at N-O-V-O-C-O period C-O-M. We look forward to hearing from you. Today is Tuesday, March 3, 2009. This week, we will talk about two of the renewable energy provisions of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, or ARA for short, and also known as the Recovery Act. We also have some updates regarding the implementation of the LHTC provisions of the Recovery Act. As a reminder, we touched on the topics in this podcast as well as the new markets tax credit and general business provisions in our webinar last week. If you missed the live session of the webinar, a recording of the two-hour event is available for download at www.novoco.com slash events. First, on today's agenda, for developers of renewable energy production facilities, we look at the pros and cons of claiming the investment tax credit when property is placed in service in lieu of claiming a production tax credit over 10 years as energy is produced. As we discussed in our webinar last week, one of the many renewable energy tax credit provisions of ARA is the ability of developers to take the investment tax credit, or ITC, instead of taking the production tax credit, or PTC. This option allows developers to claim tax credits based on project costs when the property is placed in service instead of claiming tax credits over 10 years based on the amount of energy generated. Some listeners may be wondering, why would this option be attractive to wind or other renewable energy producers? The key to the analysis is twofold. First, You need to estimate the amount of kilowatt hours that will be produced over 10 years. And second, you need to calculate the applicable per kilowatt hour tax credit percentage. Many wind projects are projected to generate a large amount of kilowatt hours at a tax credit rate of $0.02 per kilowatt hour. Conversely, other renewables are projected to generate fewer kilowatt hours at a lower tax rate of $0.01 per kilowatt hour. The key in those scenarios is that the amount of the production tax credit depends on the tax credit rate and the amount of energy produced. For example, if a single 2.5 megawatt-hour wind turbine costs $5 million to develop and produces 8,000 megawatt-hours of power per year, those 8,000 megawatt-hours would result in about $2 million in equity from the production tax credit. But if the same wind turbine that costs $5 million to develop produces 6,000 megawatt-hours of energy, then the approximate amount of equity from the production tax credit would drop to about $1.5 million. In that situation, the developer might be inclined to take the investment tax credit of $1.5 million and eliminate the risk and complexity involved in having an investor partner for 10 years. The ITC option may also be more attractive because under ARA, in lieu of actually claiming the ITC, the project owner can get a cash grant directly from Treasury. The elimination of the need to find a tax credit buyer for the tax credits can greatly simplify the financing of a renewable energy project. This is often referred to as the ITC grant option. The ITC grant option will often be more compelling for projects involving other renewable energy sources such as biomass and municipal waste. The reason is that those projects tend to have a higher cost per kilowatt hour and their credits are based on 50% of the wind credit. It will often be economically advantageous to take this new ITC grant option in such situations. Another factor that comes into play is the makeup of the equity market. My partner Dan Smith reports that last year 30 wind projects that had renewable energy equity investors were placed in service. Only six 
of the projects were developed by independent developers, and the rest, about three-fourths, were developed by major companies such as utilities or other large corporations. The number of investors actually investing in these projects has decreased dramatically over the past year, numbering between four and eight active investors right now. These investors have become very selective in the types of deals they are willing to consider. There were approximately 10 to 15 other wind energy projects that were not able to secure equity investors that were placed in service last year. In those cases, if the grant option provided under ARA had been available, it's likely that the developers would have taken it. If you're involved in the development of renewable energy facilities and you're interested in further evaluating this option, I invite you to discuss the details of your development of your project with one of my partners. Dan Smith in our Dover, Ohio office and Stephen Tracy in our San Francisco office are both able to consult with you on what this new law may mean to you. My partner Dan Smith can be reached by phone at 330-602-4600 or by email at dan.smith.novico.com. My partner Stephen Tracy can be reached by calling 415-356-8000 or by sending an email to stephen.tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at novico.com. If you have a more general question about the provision, please also feel free to send an email to cpas at novico.com. Continuing with the ITC grant topic, there are still a number of unanswered questions as to how the grant option will be administered. The Treasury Department has responsibility for administering the program. Early versions of the program had the Department of Energy operating the program, but that changed as the legislation made its way to the President's desk. Some of the open or unanswered questions include, for example, that at the time of the, of the recording of this podcast, there had been no announcement regarding which area within the Treasury Department would be responsible for administering the grants. Likewise, there has not yet been any indication from the federal government regarding what the actual process will be for claiming these grants. Questions that will need to be answered include issues related to the application process, cost certification requirements, and how recapture provisions will work. We will continue to investigate and track these topics and will share updates with you as they become available. We have heard that Treasury expects to have guidance out by April and be able to make cash grants by May. There is a similar grant option for states for low-income housing tax credits, and we expect that the area of Treasury that handles the energy grants will also handle the LIHTC grants. Finally, we have an update on how states might implement the LIHTC credit exchange program. Novograd and Company has developed a list of questions for state housing tax credit agencies regarding the LIHTC exchange program under ARA. However, at this time, there are still many issues outstanding, and it may be a while until comprehensive plans can be formed. A lot of these questions will require guidance from the Treasury Department before further action can be taken. Some of the outstanding issues include questions such as, when can a state make the election to receive some of the grant proceeds? Will it be a rolling election or a one-time election? what documentation will be required from the state to get the grant. It's also unclear how and when the money will be given to the states. For instance, will it be provided as a lump sum, or will it be doled out on a project-by-project basis as credits are returned on a rolling basis? In turn, state agencies will also have to determine how they will manage and allocate the grants to individual projects. Moving down to the next level, to the development level, developers have their own questions about whether or not the funds will be allocated to project owners as grants or loans. And in addition, there are lingering questions about whether or not the funds would be taxable and how they would affect eligible basis and depreciable basis. Current informal guidance from Treasury is very encouraging. That guidance suggests that the credit exchange dollars are, one, not taxable income, two, 
are includable in depreciable basis, and maybe even more importantly, would be includable in eligible basis. We expect that the Internal Revenue Service will issue interpretive guidance to this effect. As soon as that guidance is available, we'll post it online and send an email to our industry alert subscribers. Along a related vein, we also have some early indications about how Davis-Bacon requirements will apply to the two LIHTC-related provisions in ARA. First, a little background. The Recovery Act was written as two separate acts. The first act, or division, dealt with appropriations, and the second act, or division, dealt with tax provisions. The Davis-Bacon provisions were contained in Section 1606 of the Appropriations, or Spending, Division of the Act. The Appropriations Division also includes the language providing the GAAP financing program, the LHTC GAAP financing program, that is. But the provisions for the LHTC Credit Exchange Program were included in the other act. It appears that this difference will have real implications for the Davis-Bacon treatment of the two programs. While further guidance is needed, we have been advised that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, has taken the position that since the LHTC GAAP funding provided in the Recovery Act was part of the Appropriations Division, the Davis-Bacon provision contained in the Appropriations Division in Section 1606 will apply. Conversely, it appears that because the Credit Exchange Program was in the Tax Division, which did not contain Section 1606, the Davis-Bacon provisions in Section 1606 will not be mandated by federal rules. We have also learned that state housing tax credit agencies may not be required to amend their qualified allocations plan in order to distribute the LIHTC GAAP funds. There may be some cases where it will be necessary because of state statutes, but for other state agencies, this is a positive development in that amending QAPs can be a lengthy process. In addition, early reports indicate that HUD has taken the position that a project having been competitively awarded credits in the past does not meet the statutory requirement of the new LHTC GAAP funding law. As such, it appears that state agencies will need to hold new competitive rounds that include a priority for projects that can be completed within three years in order to award the LHTC GAAP funding. These initial indications are useful, but there are still many questions that must be answered before these programs can be fully implemented. In the meantime, a number of state housing tax credit agencies have made announcements that they are digesting the available information and forming plans to the best extent possible. For example, last Tuesday, the Kentucky Housing Corporation said in its weekly eGram email that it is reviewing what impact the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act may have on 2008 and 2009 housing credit projects. KHC said it understands the urgency that its partners feel, as well as the need to apply the Recovery Act provisions to its housing programs. The agency said it is investigating the impact of the Recovery Act on all of its programs, and so far, there are still many unknowns. Once the state agencies have received additional guidance, we expect that we will have a better understanding of how to proceed. As the states make decisions and release more information, Novograd and Company will post it online at our Affordable Housing Resource Center website. To track these developments on a state-by-state basis, just go to www.taxcredithousing.com and click on Hot Topics in the News menu. There you will see a link to a web page we've created to track all the news and guidance available about the Recovery Act. And finally, on a related note, there was exciting news released last week regarding the LHTC GAAP funding program. HUD announced last week that only a week after the provisions were signed into law, it allocated nearly 75% of a larger sum of $13.61 billion of funding provided by the Recovery Act. The funding, the $13.61 billion of funding, 
includes the $2.25 billion of the aforementioned LIHTC gap funding that was appropriated under the Act with the purpose of filling funding gaps that have stalled LHTC developments across the country. HUD has dubbed this LHTC gap funding the, quote, tax credit assistance program, or it's, it's becoming known as, by its acronym, TCAP. A table of TCAP funding amounts by state has been posted on our Recovery Act webpage. The implementation of the Recovery Act and an assessment of its impact is also going to be the key focus of our New Orleans Long-Term Tax Credit Finance Conference that will be held May 13th and 14th. Novograd and Company is currently finalizing an agenda for the event, which will feature panels discussing some of the critical topics, including income tax and gap accounting implications of credit exchange dollars and TCAP, LHTC gap monies, ways states can use tax credit exchange dollars to fund both 9% competitively allocated tax credit projects and tax and bond projects and other approaches, how state agencies will implement their new asset management responsibilities, the impact of the Recovery Act on tax and bond finance transactions, and, perhaps most importantly over the longer term, how tax credit investors are reacting to the Recovery Act. If you have suggestions about other topics you'd like to hear discussed by LHTC industry experts at the conference, please send us an email with your ideas to events at novaco.com. We encourage you to reserve your space early for the conference. You can sign up online at www.novaco.com events. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's report. Previous Task Credit Tuesday podcasts are available for download online at www.novaco.com podcast or by subscribing to this podcast in iTunes. Please join us again next week when we will discuss the latest from the CDFI Fund regarding its plans for the $3 billion in additional new market tax credit allocation authority provided by the Recovery Act. The CDFI Fund has said it would be releasing its detailed plan for implementing the provisions of the Recovery Act in the very near future. We will also discuss some of the highlights of President Obama's proposed budget for 2010. This is Michael Novogratik. I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.